Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our latest Outlook podcast. It is early October. We approach Columbus Day weekend, Indigenous People weekend, whatever else you want to call this weekend. Jim, it's it's Gable weekend, and God, this is the this I think is the first time. I think this is the first Gable that neither of us is playing. Is that right? Uh, first, our podcast is sponsored by AT&T, Mobilizing Your World, so I had to get that in there. <laughs> thank God. Um, thank God for Jim Bozinski. Right, thank, um, thank you. Thank you, Jim. <laughs> um, I did not play last year, and if you didn't play last year, then last year was the first time we didn't play. You didn't? Oh. Okay, no, well. I was... Uh, <clears throat> right. I think I held my... I think I hung my cleats up after uh, the Phoenix tournament two years ago. I can't even remember where these tournaments were anymore. I, the, the gay bowl is a the national championship for for gay flag football teams across the country. I think I said they're going to be thirty four teams. I think they have this year. Thirty four teams are hosted in San Diego, which should be wonderful weather, sun, eighties and seventies, and I'll be officiating. And Jim was going to come down for a day and. Watch and yeah, we. It's funny. We started this with three teams back in 2002, and now they're now they're up in the 30s. And it's amazing how much the the sport has grown in the, in the gay community. Oh, and they have a, there's two divisions. There's also a, a third women's only division, and it's it, it is kind of cool. We started that. Like we started this thing that it was just. It was a loosey-goosey three-team tournament 15 years ago, and now it's this big, you know, hundred thousand dollar production and teams flying around. And God, it's it's I I forget how much work we put into organizing it, how much work we put into running the national league, and how much God, how much work we would do planning and trying to win the damn thing. I mean, oh they, yeah, they, well, I the could, last time. 2009, we ran the team together, and we won the championship by a point when the other team, San Diego, missed a two-point conversion. And I said, that's a perfect time to retire, just like John Elway, go out with the championship, because it was so much work to get that team together. And you you realize it comes down the entire – all the planning comes down to one play on the last last day and the last play of the whole tournament. So it was really exciting, but – yeah, kind of funny. I look about Gay Bowl One, and it's sort of like you look at the little black and white films of the NFL in the '30s. You know, it's like it felt so prehistoric. We had three teams, so we had a, a hot tub at a hotel, and so basically all three teams are jammed <laughs> into the room with a hot tub. Now you need, you know, you have a host hotel, and you have they're renting out the San Diego Polo Grounds, which look like, at least on uh, on the internet, look beautiful. So. Well, they're sixty thousand dollars worth of beautiful, so yeah. it, it better be amazing. Uh, but yeah, it's um, you think about this tournament, and it is so much work, and these teams put so much into it. And 
every single tournament, I believe every single final, Jim, since that final in Washington, D.C. in 2009, every single one has been decided by one point. And I tell teams all the time, if, if the few teams that ever ask me for advice, uh, focus on two things, defense and your, your PATs because you're going to have at least one game that's going to come down to those PATs. And the two tournaments that we won uh, when we were with L.A. You know, in 2009 and 2010, they both came down to one PAT, and in each final, it was the only PAT made. Yeah, there were 16 touchdowns combined between the teams in the two consecutive finals. And we made one in each game, which is a terrible percentage to get one, but it's better than zero. We won by one point in each one. And so, and yet that's a play that I think most teams give short shrift to, trying to come up with a solid one-point play. Uh, we had it yeah. in the gay games in 2006 when we had Corey Johnson, who I was the quarterback of the team, but I realized how good Corey was on these conversions and he converted like 90% of his one-point conversions, and it was a huge difference in us winning the gold medal that year because he just had a knack for – he was the one person I've ever played with who had a knack for knowing exactly how to run the play, which was basically if it's open immediately, throw it. If not, buy some time. And he was just – he was a genius. So uh, if Corey's listening to this, thanks for helping us win the gold medal back in 2006. <laughs> Well, Corey helped us win a couple, and uh, it helped me win a couple, and, yep. and, and the Warriors win a couple in New York. So, <clears throat> yeah. Well, we're going to be headed down shortly. I'm going down tomorrow night after I have a couple of football games here, a couple of middle school games, and then I got a high school game tomorrow night, and then head down tomorrow night. Joe head down Saturday. So, if you're in San Diego this weekend, please come and say hello. Somebody who will not be in San Diego, <laughs> you like that segue? Transition. <laughs> <laughs> is Bryant University's Chris Burns, the assistant basketball coach who came out publicly last night on Outsports and USA Today. USA Today had a lengthy feature, which they interviewed a bunch of people in and around the team, the Bryant University men's basketball team. And then we had a fantastic emotional piece that Chris wrote himself for us explaining, you know, kind of his, a little bit of his journey and how he got here and, and why he's doing this. And it's been, you know, it's it's interesting. One of the, I mean, so a lot, every one of these stories is interesting to me for different reasons. This one, because of how long we've known this guy, it's been a couple of years. We've, we've met him a couple of times, talked to him. I've talked to him a bunch. And it's just, it's, it's amazing that all of that kind of, you know, work, I mean, it is work for us, for me anyway, to an extent. You're trying to help these people see, not just so that we get a story, but so that they can see they can live their life openly and freely and, and to finally see all of that kind of convincing and eye-opening come to fruition. It's, 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 it's satisfying. Well, with Chris, it was a long journey. He, we both first, you may have met him before. I met him the first time at the Nike Sports Summit and. 2014 and it looked like he was ready to come out after that because it was such a emotional experience for him and then for various reasons he didn't and you've been in contact with him ever since and there'd be fits and starts where he was going to do it not going to do it and it kind of finally all came together and I have not spoken to him obviously today but I can imagine that he has no regrets I mean 
it's sort of as people say, you know, it's the sort of the first day of the rest of your life. And he's already gotten congratulations from Mike Shishetsky, who, you know, phoned him unprompted to congratulate him. Before, you know, hearing the story was going to come out, and there's nobody bigger in college basketball than Coach K. And, you know, to me, that that's a very important thing to have people in the institutions like Shishetsky. But, I mean, for Chris to sort of go through all this angst and stuff, and now he's he's free, and I think it's going to make him a better coach, and I guarantee it is not going to hold him back. And if there's a coach out there that doesn't want to hire Chris because he's gay, well, Chris wouldn't want to play for that person anyway. And I think he's just going to get more opportunities, and I think people like Shishetsky have such a stature that, you know, why don't you tell the story about, you know, that Chris like got a, a random call or number and like had no idea who it was? My brother. <laughs> but no, I mean, something, well, it, no, it, you say today stories too. They got like nine calls from this number and no idea who it was. And finally he was like, oh my God, <laughs> Mike Shishevsky. So, you know, it's pretty cool. Well, I, yeah. And, 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 you know, I, I think, um, you know, the, the, the reporter, USA Today reporter, Scott Gleason, he, He's a college basketball reporter, college sports reporter, and so he knew Coach K and and wanted to wanted some gravitas to his article. And obviously, having uh, the best college basketball coach over the last uh, certainly twenty thirty years, um, you know, it, one of the greatest ever, <laughs> to have him call Chris, who I think you know when he called Chris, Chris was still you know wavering a little bit. Wow, I should do this when I should do this, but once. Coach K called him and and also you know lent his voice publicly to the article. I think that gave Chris a lot of confidence to say yes, I'm absolutely doing this. Let's go. And if you read Chris's story, and there's a companion piece by Anthony Nicodemo, who's people know who know though in the podcast he's a high school basketball coach in New York, and those two were a couple for a while. And Anthony wrote a really very effective emotional piece about how. Chris being closeted while Anthony sort of came out was part of the reason to put strains on the relationship. I mean, Anthony had a lie about was he in a relationship, and, you know, Chris talks about it in his own piece, how he had to basically deny a huge part of himself to his family and close friends, and it gets tired and depressing kind of living this double life and feeling you have to segment everything and segregate it. And, you know, I I just can't imagine Chris is going to have any bad blowback from this. I think he's going to feel liberated and, you know, I think I simply think it's going to make him a better coach and I do think students and athletes, student athletes are going to relate to his honesty. And I think it's one thing Shashevsky said to USA Today that they're going to see him as being an authentic honest person, not someone who's hiding. So um I mean both pieces are very well worth reading and it's unusual for us to have sort of a, you know, kind of a Sort of a boyfriend talking about, you know, his in this case his ex, but the, but it was really both were very powerful and moving. Yeah, well, the whole I think the whole situation, who Chris is and who Anthony is, and uh, you know, and and their long term relationship. I mean, they were dating when Chris was a player at at Bat Bryant, and and you know, Chris going to the national cha- the championship game in Division Two and being one of the stars of the team and and. Anthony was staying with him, and, and they were just kind of sneaking around and secretive. And Chris, you know, he has he has been gay, actively gay. I don't know, like living the gay lifestyle or how exactly you say it, but he's 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 dated and whatnot over the last 
ever since, you know, with, you know, ever since they broke up and to have to hide that constantly when you, you know, go to a gay pride event, you can't talk about it with your boss or your, or your, or your coworkers. You go on a trip, you have to hide it. You went to Bora Bora recently with some friends and, you know, I think he posted about it on Facebook, but he didn't really post who he was there with. And it, it's just so much, it, we've talked about so much energy and, and, and trying to, cover your tracks and and now chris just kind of doesn't have to do that and i think that it it, we talk about this all the time how it can make you a better athlete and it can make you a better coach just just doesn't have to worry about this anymore every time i talked to him about this he was he would he there was some sense of concern in him about it and now he just doesn't have to worry about it anymore and i'm i'm so happy for him well and the reality too is that when you're closeted and we've all been there, you think everybody else is obsessing about this the way you are 24-7, which they're not. And now, once this story dies down, and it's only early October, and the season won't start for a good month or so, by the time the season rolls around, it'll get mentioned, but it's going to be kind of a non-story in a good way. And so Chris is no longer going to have to worry about that, expending that energy about wondering, should I say the right thing or I use the wrong, you know, and then, that's what's so wonderful about it is that it's going to go quickly and become something that is nobody really discusses, and that's exactly how it should be after the initial flurry. And I think in Chris's case, it's going to be uh, going to be that exactly. Yeah, and, and, and but you know, as, as Scott Gleason, the USA Today reporter, was doing a story, he kept asking me, you know, what kind of first is this, and. You know, a couple things that we landed on. He's he's broken a barrier because he's the, he's the first college basketball coach that we know of to come out publicly, like Division One, Two, Three, NAIA. We don't. I don't know of one who's who's ever come men's. out publicly. Men's, yes, men's. Um, but right now, he's the only he's the only college basketball coach, men or women, that I know of who's publicly. I know a bunch. Who are not publicly out? Who who don't, don't either don't want to come out publicly or are getting pressure to not come out publicly? But I don't know of another one on the men or women's side who's publicly out. At oh, I'm sorry, Julie Shaw, of course, Julie Shaw Laverne. Yeah. Okay, he's one of two. <laughs> and of course, see, when you were at the Final Four this year, you ran into and wrote a story about a good half dozen who are closeted and. You know, odds are most of them probably won't come out, but I'm certain Chris will inspire other people to come forward at whatever whatever level. So I think he's going to get reactions that he's probably not going to be expecting, and he's going to be a difference maker. Yeah, well, I've already gotten an email from – there's a coach who I've been talking to for years, and he's just refused – to come out. He's he's a professional coach and he just refused. And I got a text message from him today and he said, you know, I read Chris's story and I want you to do something. He has some other things that he wants to talk about. Um, it doesn't, he doesn't want it to be a coming out story per se. He wants to talk about different parts of his life and being married and having kids with, with his partner. But Chris has already had, and we got another message from a lacrosse player and other people messaging us. Um, oh, I wanted I saw to call that. one of the closeted coaches. One of the closeted coaches reached out to me on, on, on Facebook and said, "Yeah, you know, I'm. Gosh, I'm still thinking about it." So, his his 
we always I call it the domino effect, and 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 this is another domino, and he'll he we're already seeing he's gonna he's more will knock down, and those will keep going, and and it's this coaching profession that's so hard to break into. And that's again why people like Shostakovsky and others, if by by making positive public comments, they set the tone for everybody else. Because if Coach K says you're okay, then you're okay. I mean, um, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. like and I, I. So I think that part of it was to me as as important as anything else because it's not like Chris is out there alone. Anybody who you know reads the story will say, "Oh God, what Shostakovsky already you know called them and and congratulate them." Well, okay, that must make it okay. It'd be like in the NFL of you know, a Bill Belichick or Mike McCarthy or something did something proactive like that. It would make it. These are people that make a difference. And so, have you spoken or had any contact with Chris since his story ran, which has now only been a few hours? Yeah, yeah. He's and? he's he. Um, well, well, today they got practice, so <laughs> he's working. Um, but you know, uh, I, I think he's just kind of he's he's glad for all the positive feedback and. He's just kind of, kind of this morning. He was just kind of trying to relax because it's been some sleepless nights for him leading up to this point. Um, uh, but, but yeah, he's just, he's just kind of like, I think for him and the whole team, it's okay. This is a 12 to 24 hour story, and we're moving on. And, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm from what I can tell, that's exactly what it's going to be. It's going to be a, a one day story, and by tomorrow, it's over. Certainly, you'll have. I columnist um, columnists show up to do a column, and when they play Duke, their first game is against Duke on November, I think it's 14th, at Duke. Certainly people will show up and, and try, write stories about that, but for all intents and purposes, this is a one-day story. It's on SportsCenter last night. I, don't have, I haven't seen it on SportsCenter today, so we're in, we're out. Now he's out and free. People who are going to be inspired by his story will continue to find the story, but for the most part, it's on with the job. Yeah, and he's also, I mean, just for clarification, he's an assistant coach at Bryant, which is in Providence. It's maybe a little different than if he was the head coach. But still, it's the, the beauty of doing it now is it's going to not be a hot topic because it never is. I mean, even Michael Sam was not a hot topic except for some little flashpoints, you know, after the draft and their first mini camp and all that. But, boy, once training camp started with the Rams and it was the first day after that, there was not – People weren't writing daily things about Michael Sam because there was nothing to write. So the same thing with all these stories. There's really nothing to add to it at a certain point other than, oh, gee, Chris Burns had another practice, and he had another practice. And <laughs> did I tell you he had a practice? <laughs> you know, it's like, what can you say? So and I think a lot of these people who are afraid of it, they assume that everybody's going to be obsessed about their stories, and the reality is they aren't. <laughs> You know, I mean, that's yeah. the, you, you were in a closet like, oh, my God, they're all going to be think every move I make. Every, and it's like, no, people don't usually pay that kind of attention to you. They're usually pretty self-absorbed. Um, and we saw that we've seen that in every coming out story. They they have a flurry. They get email and they have the – but then it kind of settles down and they go on and everybody smiles. I mean, tomorrow I'm going to post something. I want to know how many LGBT people have come out in sports since last coming out day, which is this year is Sunday. Right. And I have 68, 68 stories with links and quotes, and it's like you realize, A, how similar some of the stories are, because I kind of look through all of them to get a quote, but just how varied and diverse these people are. You know, there's, there's one unifying theme is they have a coming out story, but they all sort of have different things to deal with. 
But for most of them, it's like, oh, I forgot about that person. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like you're saying, it wasn't like they're at the top of our thought process all the time after they've had their coming out moment. Yeah, well, it, 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 that is this uh, this idea that it's going to be such a distraction and all this stuff, and we hear that word over and over, and uh, like it's just it's just so not it's 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 one of the biggest lies about this whole thing that it's going to linger, and and this this is not going to affect the team at all, not at all, because Chris isn't going to let it, the players aren't going to let it, the head coach isn't going to let it. Uh, and you know they, they they had a lot of success. The program as a Division Two program, they moved up to Division One a few years ago. They haven't made it to the tournament, the NCAA tournament yet, as a Division One program. And so you know they that that coaching staff has, still has something to to accomplish. So they'll be focused on that. And my guess is we won't hear too much about Chris Burns after this week. I mean, it's, and, and 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 to me that is such a good thing, like because people. These guys, what they want to do, and I know what Chris wanted to do, he wanted to come out, share his story, to kind of get it out of the way so he didn't have to worry about it anymore. And so that people just knew. And he also wanted to help inspire other people. So it's out there, and now he wants to get on with his life. Certainly the occasional email will come in or text message from somebody looking for help, and that's wonderful. But these athletes and these coaches, they want to just kind of get in, get out, get it over with, and move on. And that that... I, from what I can tell, this is exactly what's going to happen for Chris. Well, and I, I was looking at the baseball playoffs, or the, the two wild card games have started, and the playoffs start in full today with the um, four divisional round series. And uh, Dale Scott's doing the Toronto Texas game, and I was going to tweet out a little something later, but he's the first openly gay umpire in a postseason game. And the reality is, no one cares in a good way. No one's, you know what I'm saying? It's like, he came out last year, and there was a flurry, yep. and he's making a small bit of history tonight, but it's not like, oh, my God, we got to focus on Dale Scott, and it's like, no, Dale Scott's, you know, the crew chief of this uh, one series, and he's, he got it on his merits. So I do think that's instructive for Chris or anybody that these are these stories are not going to linger. Yeah, well, uh, we're going to, like, yeah, I mean, we're the only ones who are covering yeah, exactly. I mean, it, it is our beat, right? I mean, we we are going to cover these people. We will cover Bryant University basketball a bit more than we have in the past. Um, that's our beat. That's what our readers want to read. But um, yeah, we're the only people I think worrying whether well, not worrying, but but covering where Del Scott is uh, uh, umpiring in in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, yeah exactly. and I, I was kind of and, and as I was, you know, Anthony Nicodemo and I were trying to, you know figure out how how big of a story would this be? Would this be splashed across ESPN? Whatever. And 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 my thought was it kind of it has been exactly what I thought it would be. There would be lots of social media action. People would make really nice comments. There would be some columns. But there's an NFL game tonight. NFL is king. They're we're in the middle of Major League Baseball playoffs. The uh, college football is underway. These things are that's what Sports fans and sports media are focused on right now, not not whether an, a coach comes out or not. So I think that is part of why it will be a one-day story because there's so much else going on. People are far more concerned about Andrew Luck's shoulder uh, and, yes. and and Matt Hasselbeck throwing the ball um, uh, forward than than they are with with Chris Burns. Tell me about it as someone who's Andrew Luck in a fantasy league. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, now again, I, if, Coach I, uh, K was, if Coach K was the one that came out, yeah, it'd be a bigger story. But you're right that there's so much more going on that after people digest it, it's like, oh, isn't that great? Cool for him. Great story. But, yeah, it's a, in a good way, Chris's uh, story's not going to have a lot of legs, and that's good for him. Hitting on, as before we leave, uh, we always like to talk NFL. Um, Jeremy, is it Brenner? Brenner? How do you say his last name? Brenner. Jeremy Brenner is a young writer, who a teenager, who has been writing a bunch of stuff for us, some great NFL stuff. And he kicked off his column this week uh, talking about Ray Lewis calling Jimmy Graham a, a queen tight end, which I didn't even catch. I was listening to a lot of of, of the post game, and I didn't even catch it. It was that. a pregame show. Oh, it was the pregame. Okay, okay. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's why I didn't catch it. Um, so, has Ray Lewis said anything about this? I mean, it's it's funny watching the comments fly across social media, um, you know, saying that we're being overly sensitive. But has Ray Lewis said anything? And, and do you think? I mean, Jeremy asked for an apology. I think it was a headline asked for an apology. Do you think that he Ray Lewis needs to apologize about this? I'm just wanting to know what the hell he meant because in I, the segment dealt with Trent Dilfer and him talking about what a lousy blocker Jimmy Graham, the Seahawks tight end, is. And how he's more, as Dilfer's name, more of a spectator than a participant. And, you know, the, the bottom line was he's a crappy blocker. And so then Lewis chimes in and says, you know, that you know, when you play a defense, you know a guy basically can't block. You know, we call him a queen blocker, which I took as a soft, uh, effeminate. That's what I took it as, clearly, in the context. Somebody else trying to say it was a term referring to chess that he's like the queen on the chessboard and the king's the opposite. But as Jeremy points out, the queen is the most powerful, you know, piece on a chessboard. So it just seems, and, and Jeremy wrote from the perspective of a 17-year-old who, you know, is sensitive to that kind of stuff. And I think the apology wasn't like I demand. He said, I think he should apologize. I don't think he meant to offend anybody. I'm just more curious about what the hell he meant because everybody was scratching their head when I was reading follow-up stories like, We've never even heard that term, queen tight end. So it just read to me like, well, he was calling him soft. I don't think it was the worst thing I've heard anybody say. And I wasn't, you know, when Jeremy pointed out, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't seen it, and I found the video of it. But it was just kind of bizarre. Um, but that's how I kind of took it, as, as if Ray Lewis was saying he was soft. Because there was no, because no other context, given how they were saying he didn't like the block. He basically stood around and watched and you know, um, it was just kind of an interest, <laughs> interest. And had you ever heard anybody referred to a position as a queen, whatever? I no, <laughs> I've never heard of that. Um, that was that was news to me. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what he what else he could have possibly meant. I, I mean, the chess match thing doesn't make any sense, not given the context. <clears throat> I mean, he must have been a. He had to have been talking about him being feminine or or something. I mean, I went. It's just such an odd term, but I'm sure that he won't say a word about it. And we'll, and no, we'll never and I, find I think out. it's one of those that's sort of on the edge. That it's not. I mean, Jerry wrote about it because he's doing a weekly column, and I thought it was a good take on, a, on an issue I hadn't really heard about it. But it wasn't like I I'm screaming saying you know, ah. But I want I'm addressing that is one thing I hadn't talked to you about, and I've heard people say that. Have you seen the direct TV commercials with Peyton Manning and the high pitched voice? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've had some people say, is that 
not so much homophobic as that feminizing. Oh, like it's what? And I, yeah. It strikes me as an odd commercial, and I thought, and yet all the commercials seem that way. Tony Romo and paper mache Tony Romo. You know, like he's this sort of queenie guy who does arts and crafts, and Andrew Luck yeah. does the kittens and pay, and so. What is your take on any of those? Yeah, I've been actually I've been meaning to write about that Peyton Manning commercial because yeah, some of the so other I. ones. Yeah, it's, there's one. <clears throat> is it like um, Rob Lowe and Nerdy Rob Lowe, right? And and well, the whole Rob Lowe thing, but these but, are now but, NFL. But if you look no, at it, it's just Peyton. It's Andrew Luck and kittens. It's Tony Romo and paper mache. The only one that sort of isn't that way is Eli Manning and the bad stand-up comic. Right. Well, the, well, none are more clear. <laughs> Then Peyton Manning Manning's one high pitch, with the, yeah, the high pitch, uh, feminine voice saying, you know, if you're a guy, then you have Directv, and if you're less than, if you're feminine, if you're a woman, then you have something else. And I mean, it's, there's none of them are more clear than that one on that. And I'm just, I'm kind of surprised that Directv would would go there. Directv had a had a great. Um, had a great ad featuring a gay couple last year. Um, so, you know, they're not stupid. They 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 have some sensitivity to this kind of stuff, but I don't know. It's just an odd choice for them. Yeah, so uh, tying into what we're talking about just seemed just cold, strange to me. As someone who loves Peyton Manning, and he is not the guy writing the skits, but still it's kind of like weird. Yeah, well, I you know, I'm, 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 I'm Peyton Manning sitting on my fantasy... A team, Jim, quick. Keep do I him play there. him at the Raiders, or or do I, or do I play Carson Palmer at the Lions? Oh, uh, I won't give you any advice. <laughs> no, I'm one in three. <laughs> sorry. All right. Well, I, I'm a lucky three and one. Um, but that's all the time we have this week. Um, this podcast is brought to you by AT and T, mobilizing your world. We will catch you next week. Maybe we'll talk to Gable.